received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. But if we preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is God's word to God's people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the record of the resurrection. Thank you for the witnesses and the testimonies. Thank you that its effect has been down through the ages. You have raised your people up to new life, even to eternal life in heaven. Uh, raise us up today in our spirit that we might walk in newness of life and we might be more like Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Several weeks ago, I had uh, the flu and COVID. And so I began to look for a book that I could read during my isolation. And I picked a book on death and hope. That's how bad I felt the first day. I was feeling like death and hoping I wouldn't die. But I bought this book by Tim Keller, thinking that, you know, Tim Keller, one of the uh, well-known PCA pastors in our denomination, uh, has pancreatic cancer, and even this month he's going through uh, severe treatments again for the second time. I thought he would talk about how he was dealing with his illness, and I could be encouraged in that way. But the book is not that at all. It was a serious historical dealing with the resurrection and its importance and its implication on our lives. Uh, the resurrection, Easter, affects everything. If Christ has been raised, then everything has changed. One author he quoted said this, the resurrection is kind of like some good item that we bring out once a year and then we wrap it back up and put it in the drawer for safekeeping because we don't want to use it every day. 
You probably have china like that, the stuff that people gave you that cost a lot of money, and you're afraid that if you bring it out, somebody might break it, you know? Well, Jesus and the resurrection is not fine china. It's everyday wear. It's got chips and, and cracks all through it. It's been used and should be used in a, in a daily way. The resurrection really does affect everything that we do, every part of our Christian life. It affects our regeneration, how we've been born again. The resurrection affects our, our justification, our sanctification, our perseverance, our glorification, our eternal life, our everyday life. It affects our faith, our hope, our love. It affects everything. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, then the gospel really has no effect in our lives. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 says, If you believe, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you will be saved. And so the question is, could you really be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection? The answer would be, no, you cannot. And yet somehow in Corinth, they had began to doubt the resurrection. Now, this church had lots of problems. This church was known to have division. They had followed certain teachers, and, and they made sure those teachers were uh, elevated in their lives. Uh, there was uh, lawsuits in the church where Christians were suing one another, a lot of division in the church in that way, even legally. There was incest in the church. There was uh, also you had people getting drunk at the Lord's table. And so you can imagine all of this had uh, theological roots to it or lack of theological roots to it. They had begun to doubt the resurrection of Christ. Now, how in the world can that be? Well, it could be in several ways. Uh, the Jewish people in general didn't believe in the resurrection. If you were a Sadducee, you didn't believe there was any life after death, not for the soul or the body. Maybe some Jewish Sadducees had come in and infiltrated the church, or maybe there was some Gnosticism that had gotten into the church. And Gnosticism grew out of uh, Plato and his ideas that, that the body and everything material was evil and and so and everything that was good was immaterial, spiritual. And so death was uh, freeing your body from the prison house, freeing your soul from the prison house of your body. Or maybe they had just gotten influenced by some uh, Epicureans, people who said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. So the Apostle Paul spends an entire chapter dealing with this issue of you have to believe in the resurrection he hammers home its importance, its implications, and its incentives for our life. It's important. He says in verses 1 through 11, and right there at the very start, in verse 3, For I received, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for your sins. According to the Scriptures, he was buried and he was raised on the third day. It's of first importance, not uh, sequentially, but, but principally, meaning that one of the most important things in the whole gospel is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that there are a lot of things in our faith that aren't essential. I don't mean they're not important, but 
You know, it's, it's not essential whether you've been dunked or sprinkled. It's not essential whether you take the Lord's Supper, you know, every week or every month or every quarter. It's not essential that you do a lot of things, that you sing out of a hymn book or something like that. But it is of first importance and essential that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and raised on the third day. And Paul says, that is what you received, and that's what I delivered to you. Now, he's using technical language here that people in, in Corinth would know. The idea here of telling you or preaching is the word euangelion in the Greek, which comes from uh, the word angel or messenger. And the word for preaching in this passage is caruso, uh, which is the word for herald. And what you have in preaching in, that, in this setting is preaching was seen as a message given to a servant by the king. And what it was was so important it was not to be changed but just to be delivered. And so what Paul is saying is the king said, you know, the, the message is this. He died for sins. He was buried and he rose on the third day. And you weren't able to change that. Paul is saying, I didn't make up a message. I didn't make this good news up. This news came to me in Galatians 2, he says, from God himself, that God had appeared to him on the road to Damascus and had declared himself to be the risen Christ. And Paul says, that's what you received, that's what you believed, and that's how you're saved unless you don't believe that anymore, unless you had temporary faith. When you look at the history of the church in Acts, you realize the resurrection was the essential message of all the preaching. We sometimes don't really think that, but I just want to quote a couple of verses. In Pentecost, Peter stands up and says, this God, this man who you with the help of wicked man put to death by nailing him to the cross, God raised him from the dead. In Acts chapter 16, in, in Thessalonica, it says, Paul went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as he reasoned with them, as was his custom, explaining and proving that Jesus had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Acts 16, he talked so much about the resurrection, the people there thought that the word for resurrection was another God. In Acts 23, the apostle Paul, standing before the Sanhedrin, says, The reason I'm on trial today before you is because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when Paul stood before Festus and Agrippa at the end of the book, and he talked about the resurrection, Festus had to break out and say, Paul, your learning has driven you mad. You see, sometimes we emphasize the cross so much, we minimize the empty tomb. When I was at RTS, we had to write a paper on what you had to say or include in the presentation of the gospel. Because we were all like to hang around and critique everybody's presentation, you know, what's wrong with the four spiritual laws, what's wrong with EE, and what's wrong with the navigators, the bridge. And so our professor, knowing our great uh, critique of, of, of models like that, had us write our own. I wish I had mine, not because it would be any good, because it would be very bad, but I would like to see what I said about the resurrection. 
Did I include the resurrection? Did I include the fact you have to admit that you're a sinner? You have to believe on Jesus Christ that he died for you. You have to commit your life to live for him. But the power to do that is in the risen Christ. The Apostle Paul says it is so important. He said, I want to give you some historical evidence. And he talks about the risen Savior appearing to Peter and James at 12 and to the 500 and last of all to him. What, John, what Paul is saying is that the resurrection has historical evidence that Jesus appeared to so many people at so many different times. There are at least 10 different appearances of Jesus to people. And this book, 1 Corinthians 15, was probably written 15 to 20, maybe at the outside, 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And what, Pete, what Paul is saying to them, go talk to people. Go talk to people who saw him and walked with him and ate with him and sat with him and drank with him. But I think what Paul would also say is, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then explain the growth of the church. Explain how 11 men that were so afraid they were behind locked doors, so afraid that they, they, they denied him and fled from, from the authorities. Just tell us how that those 11 men changed the world. They were turned from fearful to faithful, from, from people who were fleeing to people who were going out and preaching the gospel. And there's no good way to explain it. The resurrection of the dead is important, it's essential, it's provable by history. It has evidence, as one says, it demands a verdict. What about the implications? Uh, what would happen if there was no resurrection? You ever play that game? What would happen if we'd have lost the Revolutionary War? What would have happened if the South had won the Civil War? What would have happened if Martin Luther didn't nail the 95 Theses to the door of the church? What would happen if mechanism, mechanical farming equipment hadn't come into existence? What, what would we look like? And that's what Paul is doing. He's playing the what-if game. Have you ever thought about what you would give up if Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead? He said, what you give up, your preaching would be in vain. It would be empty. It would be worthless, useless. What would you preach if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead? What you would do is you do what a lot of people do that don't believe the resurrection in liberal churches. You turn the gospel into a try harder, do better. You turn Christianity into a ethical system or a moral encouragement. You turn Jesus' death into an example instead of a sacrifice for sins. You see, you can go to any club in town and hear that. But we preach Christ and Him crucified and Him buried and Him raised from the dead. We give hope, defiant hope to people. Your witness about Christ would be false. 
you would be lying about God. You know what happened to prophets in the Old Testament who, in the name of the Lord, said something. They were stoned to death. They died. The Apostle Paul, talking to these people, probably influenced with Judaistic teaching, would understand the, the implications of lying about God. And he says, your faith would be futile. You're still in your sins. And you have to pause and look at that just a little bit. I thought that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. He did. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He's washed it white as snow. His blood has washed us white as snow. But unless Jesus was raised from the dead, his payment for our sin wasn't accepted. The, the resurrection is like having a receipt for something you bought that proves you bought it. I have been called for jury duty several times. Fortunately, I've only been chosen one time. And you sit in that box and, you know, uh, they come out and they've asked you all these questions. They've called out all these people that are kin to folks and know folks and know the things and so we're sitting there, and I'm wondering how long we're going to be. It was the shortest trial. You know, most crime shows take an hour. I don't think this trial took 30 minutes. So they brought in the police. No, first they brought in the manager of Walmart. And the manager of Walmart was asked a series of questions and said this guy was seen outside, and he had pockets full of everything, and he had things in his pants, and he was stealing stuff. And he, he didn't have a receipt to it. And then they called the police in, and uh, the police said, when you were called, what did you find? I found this man. He had his pockets full of stuff and everything and no receipt, and so that was it. And then the prosecution rested. That was it. And then they asked for the defense, and I don't think they even had anybody speak to his character. And then the judge says, it's in your hands. We go in the back. I shouldn't say this on tape, so maybe turn it off. But anyway, we go in the back. We shut the door, and this lady says, He did it. He did it. He's been doing it his whole life. And we said, You shouldn't know that. You know, don't be saying that. So everybody's went around the room, and he was guilty. He was guilty. And we went out there, and the judge says, He's guilty, and he's been doing it his whole life. That's the reason he's here, because he's, this is a fifth time, and now it's not a misdemeanor, but a felony. But what would have got him off the hook? A receipt. If he had a receipt, he'd have been justified. He could have pulled it out and said, I bought those things. The empty tomb is, tomb is the receipt. The resurrection of Jesus is our receipt that God has accepted his payment. And we are forgiven. We're right with God. You see, we're not in our sins. We're in our Savior. If Christ hasn't been raised, then our loved ones have perished. They're, they're lost. I picked out, and being read, the catechism questions. I just love the catechism questions about what happens to us at death. And what happens to us in death is our bodies rest in the grave, still united to Christ. 
we're still wed to Christ somehow mysteriously. And our soul is made perfect in holiness and we pass into the presence of God. And Paul says, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then there is no passing into the presence of God. Your loved ones have perished. couple of, I guess it was last week, the tragic shooting at Nashville at Covenant School. We uh, in our church know one of the teachers at Covenant School, uh, Elizabeth Ferris and David were members here, came here when they first got married and now live in Nashville and she teaches there. And you know how the person came in and shot their way in and killed these children that were nine years old and one of the girls killed was the preacher's daughter. And they, of course, wanted a statement from the preacher's daughter. I mean, from the preacher about his daughter. And what he said, somebody said, how are you dealing with this? He says, I believe my daughter is in the arms of Jesus and one day he will raise her again to life. That's our hope. You see, that's, that can, every day, somebody by the grave needs to hear that. That we don't commit that person to the grave, we commit their body to their grave and their soul to the Lord until the resurrection. It's an amazing truth. And if we didn't believe Christ died for, raised from the dead, we're to be pitied. We are people that are foolish we bought a lie we built our life on something that's not true the apostle paul said then why did i travel the world why did i fight wild animals why was i beaten why was i stoned why was i in jail why did i do all of that stuff if christ hasn't been raised from the dead then i'm to be pitied and what about you you as christians you give your service to the church to the world you give your gifts and times and talents. You give your money, your tithe. You, you sacrifice and mortify sins of the flesh that, that, that honestly could be pleasurable. You could eat, drink, and be merry, and yet you don't do that. Well, if this life is all there is, then why do all of that? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. And you're not to be pitied. You're to be praised and applauded. So the resurrection is important. It has um, unbelievable implications. And it has lots of incentives. The rest of this chapter talks about uh, Jesus being raised from the dead. And he had a glorified body. And what that meant, he had a spiritual body. It was a body but it was a spiritual body he could eat and drink and you could fall and grasp his feet and you could touch his hands inside as he asked thomas to do so which thomas probably didn't do but he jesus said you can do it he ate fish on the side he walked with the men and uh, on the road to emmaus he walked on the beach with peter and restored him he was a physical being and yet he could be gone from here to there in a moment. He could walk through locked doors. 
He had a spiritual, physical body. And Paul says he's the first fruit. I don't know much about farming, you know. I see some farmers in here. But I know if you go out there and you, you pull your first ear of corn, you know the next row is going to have what? Corn. You know, you're not going to grow a tomato plant and the first fruit on it is a tomato and the next fruit's a squash. Jesus is the first fruits. We're the next fruits. And we will be raised with the same self body as Jesus when he comes again. We don't understand it, but we believe it. And what Paul says at the almost the end of the chapter, he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of swallowed up. But this word in the Greek, swallowed up, appears in the Septuagint, which is a fancy word for the Old Testament in, in, in Greek. It, it occurs there two times at least two times. And one time Clint mentioned today in Sunday school when Moses threw his staff down and it became a snake, remember? And then the false magicians for the Pharaoh sent their, threw their staff down and it became a snake. But Moses' snake swallowed up the other snake. The other time was Kor, Dathan, and Abiram were rebelling against Moses and God was going to judge them and so he had everybody get away from the guilty party and the earth opened up and it swallowed them and what Paul says is by the victory of Jesus death has been swallowed up it's no longer a threat to us it's swallowed up and Paul encourages us that our work for Christ is never in vain. That even if you give a cup of cold water, it's never in vain. That's what it says in verse uh, 58. It says, Therefore, my dearly brothers, 58, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God's not going to forget what you gave. He's not going to forget the sick people you visited or the people in jail you visited or the, or the lonely you visited. He's not going to forget the cup of cold water. He's not going to forget anything. And the reason you do that is because you know the Lord uses it. It's profitable in his kingdom. But I want to close with how our work and our faithfulness is related to the resurrection. Martin Luther, who wrote the 95 Theses, nailed them to the door of the Wittenberg Church, started the Reformation. He was in Germany when the bubonic plague hit. And when the bubonic plague hit in 1527, it started spreading across Europe. His sovereign, or his boss, whatever you want to call it, Elector John, ordered Martin Luther to leave in order to save his life. Instead, Luther remained and stayed to minister to the sick and dying. He eventually turned his home into a field hospital. Luther explains where that fearlessness comes from. 
the gospel has given us freedom from the real and spiritual pestilence of sin and Satan through the death of Jesus. And now we can regularly and reverently meditate upon the death and resurrection of Jesus and gain our strength. You see, that's what we do. We, we don't put this, wrap this back up and put it in a drawer to be brought out next year at Easter. The resurrection affects everything, everybody, every day. It's not fine china, it's the everyday stuff. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the truth of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that death could not hold you. Thank you that by faith that we have been raised with Christ and we're seated in the heavenlies. Thank you for our loved ones who died in the Lord. We know they're with you and one day that you'll raise them again from the dead. They'll be with you and us forever. And may the resurrection of Jesus cause us to have new life, be new creatures in Christ, be more like Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.